From the beginning, there has been a choice of a path to take. Often people will refer to free will. The straight and narrow path to the kingdom or the crooked and wide path to destruction. These were established very early on. And let me show you a few examples of why it's so important to read, to study, and pray for yourself. Most will read the book of Genesis and see that God created man on the sixth day. Let me show you something, and I'm hoping you're going to read along. If you go into Genesis chapter 2, I'm turning there myself. And you start at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So it's in that day, in the day that God, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. After that, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. After that, he says, And out of the ground the Lord God made, uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's already two options. But it says, On the day that God created the heavens and the earth, if you turn to Genesis chapter 1, what day was that? If you go to verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1. From there it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It hadn't even been day one yet. Something happened. There was a creation of Adam and Eve in the garden before day one. But then also it says, the earth was without form and void. Well, God doesn't create things without form and void because without form and void would be a state of the world being idle. I-D-L-E. It didn't have purpose. It looks like it became without form and void because Adam had already been created. Now, if you read through the rest of the creation story, you get to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man. That sounds different. What's happening in verse 26 that's different than in chapter 2, where God said he's already created Adam, because now we're going to verse 26 on the sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over the livestock 
and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So then you get to verse 26, and it seems to pull this verse out a little bit different. It's not in the regular text. In most, in most circumstances, I see that it's indented on each side. On verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It looks like it's a different account being inserted here into day 6, but we see in verse or in chapter 7, that God created him before the first day. There's something happening here where it says, let us make man. It's on the sixth day. It seems like it fits in more with what happens in Genesis chapter 6, when the sons of God came down, and they took wives, all they wanted, of the sons of men. It's the whole basis of the story of Enoch. And then if you continue on to verse 28, now it goes back into the regular script. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What does the word subdue mean? It doesn't seem to fit in with what God would be telling Adam and Eve to subdue, excuse me, Subdue means to conquer, reduce to subjection. From Old French, deceive, seduce. From Latin, draw away, lead away, carry off, withdraw. This us sounds more like what the Nephilim were doing, the fallen ones, when they brought into this realm the mighty men, the men of old, the men renamed, men of renown. But also, we can see the establishment of a crooked path from the father of lies when he created Cain. Now, if you go to chapter 3 of Genesis, you'll see the deception. When Cain was birthed from the deception of Lucifer, is one name, the serpent in the midst of the garden. Now, Cain seems to be setting up the first the the crooked path. C is also like S. It comes from sigma. It's the crooked letter. If you look in Webster's 18, forget the year, the old version of the dictionary, it says A-I-N. It means to own. It comes from the root word of anus. If you look at Arabum, or Abram publications, you'll see it means I and fountain. It is the, it's like this all-seeing eye. It's the crooked path owned is Cain. We can also see that crooked letter as we talked about Mississippi. Not only in Memphis, but just in general with the M-I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I-P-P-I. So children learn how to spell Mississippi. It's a song. It's also the same letter that's added to the front of the word, word, and it creates sword. Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, that he would divide families if they're willing to follow him. In contrast to the straight path was established 
in the line of, or in contrast to this crooked line, there's the establish, establishment of the straight path through Seth. Seth was the third child of Adam and Eve. Seth means to set or place firm. It was the establishment of the straight path. After Cain killed Abel, originally would have had an H in front of it. H would, <laughs> Abel, if you have the H-A, is, etymology means surprised, distress. And then B-L-E is to be, yes. Abel was surprised when he was killed by his brother Cain. But then the straight path was established on Seth when it was set or placed firm. Next is the establishment of the law. This would be the next example of the two different paths continuing throughout the scripture. When we get to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, again, this isn't just ten bullet points. I'd ask you to read it. It's very straightforward. It's not winding and overly wordy. It's one chapter. Very clear to read and understand and to follow. But the crooked path, if you read through the, the book of Leviticus, the Levitical codes, those were established by the priests. That was very arduous, very difficult to follow. It was lots of man code in there. But if you look at the word Levi... Now, Levi was a son of Jacob, so he was one of the twelve. Levi means joining, pledging, attached. We're not supposed to pledge to man's law. And then again, in, from Levi, you have the book of Leviticus. It, it means book of Levites. The Hebrew title is Torah Kohanim. Literally means the law of the priests. It's not the law that we were given on the Ten Commandments when Moses went up onto the hill and came down with the tablets. This is the law of the priests. This is much more complex, overly wordy. And looking up the etymology on etymonline.com, the other options that come up when you look at Leviticus are kind of interesting because it shows Moloch. You know, Moloch it would be the god that they... Sacrifice their children to, could also call them Leviathan, Baphomet, and a lot of different names. The other word that comes up is Pentecost, would be five, and cost. It's like the price. It's the same thing as Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Meshech meaning price, and Tubal meaning the whole world economy. Also came up scapegoat. It's another name for same entity. In the book of Enoch, it was Azazel. Then also came up the word staff, and I was reading through it, and it said bread. So if you were to break the staff of Azazel, Moloch, Leviathan, Baphomet, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, You'd be breaking, like when Jesus broke bread at the Last Supper, he was breaking the staff 
of Azazel, Moloch. Pick a name. But in this context, it also means to cut off the supply of food in Leviticus chapter 26. That's the reference. Also, not by accident, is the first part of Levi, again, means, or Leviathan is Levi. We just looked at Levi means joining, pledging, attached. A would be two, and then T-H-O-N. If you look up the etymology of T-H-O-N, you will find that it is transgender or an X-gender. So this be pledging to the first X-gender. If you look at a picture of Baphomet, it's the goat-headed figure with boobs. Azazel, Moloch, Leviathan, pick a name. Baphomet has on the rock that he sits on, it says Eliphaz, Levi, Del. Eliphaz meaning eager for war or tender heart or God is gold. So obviously eager for war tells you a little bit about what is the nature of what's going on here. Tender heart, I think it has more to do with the fig tree when you learn the lesson of the fig tree and it puts out its, its branches become tender or weak. And we also see God is gold. You see of the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. It's the same entity. And having a God of gold, an image of gold, again, that would be an idol. It's worthless. It's meaningless. Whether you spell it I-D-L-E or I-D-O-L, again, it's bringing us back to the same thing of Meshach and Tubal, a world economy. And then it's, so it's Eliphaz, then Levi, again, pledged to, and Del, which is a hill or a rock, right on the base of the Baphomet statue that they've been talking about putting up in different courthouses and cities around, at least in the United States for sure. They use the word Levi. Goes back again, I think, to Leviticus. It's a different crooked path. Now Jesus gives us the straight path. He sets things straight. In Isaiah 22, I've mentioned Isaiah 22, 22, but I, there's more context that I looked up, and when you put it into more context, it becomes much more interesting. So Isaiah 22, starting at verse 20, In that day I will call my servant Eliakim. Now Eliakim means God rises. The son of Hilkiah. From Hilak means to divide or to uh, or apportment or portion, excuse me, to divide or apportion, plus Yah, the name of the Lord. So who is he re he's referring to here is, in that day I will rise up Jesus, Eliakim, the son of God, and he is going to divide, he's going to bring a sword. He's going to set up two paths. His will be the straight path. It continues on, it says, I will clothe him with your robe, and I will bind your sash on him, and I will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulders the key to the house of David. David means beloved. So Jesus is being given the authority 
He's going to rise up and on his shoulders will be the key of the house of David, of the beloved. He's going to cut out his beloved. Just like what we see when Jesus is on his way to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea means to cut out Philippi beloved. Jesus comes not to bring peace, but a sword to cut out his beloved. Those that aren't his beloved, he gives a crooked path. I think Jesus also shows us that he is the one that gave Moses the Ten Commandments. If you turn to John chapter 8, starting at verse 6, I think we can see what Jesus is doing in establishing and showing who he is, that he is the one that wrote the law. The Ten Commandments, not the Levitical Code. It says, this, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now if you look this up, you'll find that there's a lot of people to talk about. Well, what is it that he wrote on the ground? But I think the point is missed of where this took place. If you look at verse 2, early in the morning he came again to the temple. Where is the temple? What's the ground in the temple? It's stone. If Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground, he was writing in stone with his finger. It would be my guess that he was writing again the Ten Commandments, showing them that he is the one that established the law. Because as they were watching, they all left. He was writing it again in stone. But he tells us more about what this path is. That the key is on his shoulders. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 24. I'm going to back up. I'm going to go to verse 21. Well, I can go back up even a little further. Verse 15, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We see that plenty. But I'm going to jump back down to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now this he repeats again in Matthew 25. But I'm going to continue on here at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now this is his rock. Other places he says when he stands on level ground. If you notice the Baphomet picture, it's like an arching rock. Jesus's is level. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. To hear his words means you need to read this. You need to read the Gospels for yourself. You need to read what the prophet said. 
Not listen to doctrines of men or even what I'm saying. Let this be an encouragement for you to read for yourself. And he continues on and he says, And the rain fell, and the flood came, floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And when everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What is, it? What is his rock? It is a level rock in which if you build on it by hearing what Jesus teaches and doing it, Not hearing it and not doing it. That's what the scribes and Pharisees do that in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus says, you need to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees because the scribes and the Pharisees know it, but they don't do it. He calls them the hypocrites. Now in chapter 11 is an example of Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom, the straight path. He started verse 25, he says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, fathers, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and maybe to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take his yoke upon you. What is the yoke? It's the beam that's on his shoulders. Where do you put your yoke? On your shoulders. That is the key. Because it's easy. He's already done it for us. He's already done all the teaching. We just need to read and understand. And his burden is light. That's the knowledge that comes. That's the, the knowledge that will fuel our lamps. But he says he didn't give it to the... He thanks the Father for... He has hidden it from the wise. Who are the wise? The wise are the ones that inscribed this stuff. They've created a crooked path where words are many, iniquity abounds. But if you humble yourselves and come to him like little children, these things make sense because it's simple. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, if you quiet yourself, if you seek him daily, give us this day our daily bread. It means we're coming to him daily for just a little bit of morsels, and the more that we seek him, the more that we get, and then we can build these pieces together until you have a full understanding. Well, he's the best as far as full understanding that we can get until we actually meet him face to face and we understand fully. But then there's also the crooked path. Like in the garden with Cain, the crooked path owner, as he refers to the scribes and the Pharisees, they are of their father, the devil, who is the father of lies. It's also the all-seeing eye that you see all over the place nowadays. 
and with Leviathan, the ones that pledge to the ex-gender, come Baphomet, Moloch, Gog, Magog, Mammon. It's all the same thing. There is the crooked path that he uses to cut out his beloved. And the world does not reward those that choose the straight beam, the yoke, the level path, the narrow path to the small gate. The world will scorn and revile you and push you out, not let you be part of it, which is for your benefit. Because the world is the devil's candy, and the more that you want to participate in it, the more you have to trade who you are and the promise that you were given to be able to participate. But if you come to him humbly, not seeking the gifts of the world, but seeking the gifts from your Father, he will give you all you need. But the example, as I mentioned earlier, like Isaiah 22, 20 through 22, is the Caesarea Philippi example. Because in the Hilkiah, the son of Hilkiah, which means to divide or apportion, plus the name of God. It's the sword that cuts out his beloved. When Jesus was on his way to Caesarea Philippi, if you go to Matthew chapter 16, starting at 13, and when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, that would be to cut out his beloved. He asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Come, say, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now again, I've talked about this, but I think it's important in the sequence of that what we are seeing here. Simon Peter, no, this is Simon Peter, listening to the rock. That's what it means. Simon means listener, has heard. Peter means rock. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Name changed. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Now his name is Rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's two, two things happening at the same time. He's saying, blessed are you for saying what is correct. You heard the right thing and you said the right thing in that you said that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But in the process, Peter gets turned to a rock. And the crooked path is established. The straight path is based on Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The crooked path Peter is given, the rock is given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on, or loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the same thing that we see on the statue of Baphomet. On one forearm it says, Dissolve, or excuse me, solve, which means to like dissolve or to loose. The other arm says, Coagula which means to mass, to bind together. He's sitting on the rock that says, Eliphaz, Levi, Del, 
That's the Baphomet, Moloch, Leviathan. Pick a name. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. It continues on and he says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes to, and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You can already see that the transition has happened. First he listened, but then he was turned into a rock, and now he is the rock that is concerned with the things of man. Right after this, Jesus, or right before this, Jesus is establishing these things. He's giving the keys to Peter, and then he identifies Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So if we, again, we go to the statue of Baphomet. I don't want to spend too much time here, but it's important. Because Baphomet, not only did I mention the rock that he sits on that says Eliphaz Levi Del. One forearm has Saul, the other one says Coagula, to loose and bind. This figure also has the three horns that are mentioned in Daniel of the goat. But he also has two fingers on each arm. One's pointing up, one's pointing down. And he's got two fingers up. It's like crossing over his body and he's saying two and two. If you read Genesis chapter 7, you will see that when Noah was loading the ark, the filthy animals, those that I think that were crossed, they were ex-breeded. They went in two by two. But the clean animals went in by sevens. A lot of people read that and are surprised because they have in their mind that everything that they have been told by the church is two and two. But I ask you to read it for yourself. Again, Pentecost came up earlier when I was looking at Leviticus and its etymology. But penta, again, is like a pentagram, it's five. It's the symbol that is on the forehead of the beast called Baphomet. So when people refer to Pentecost, because that starts in the book of Acts, I think after the Gospels, this is my opinion, once you get past the Gospels, no more is needed. Jesus says he came and he taught us all things. So the first book after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is Acts. A-C-T-S, because I think from that point on, it's all an act. It's establishment again of Paul picking up the baton from Peter and establishing a whole nother crooked path, including the book of Revelation, because people spend all their time reading the book of Revelation, expecting to have some great revelation, what the end will look like, but it's all given to us already. Jesus tells us what's going to happen. So do the prophets. And it's a different story than what you see in the book of Revelation. We also see this in the symbol of the cross. Now, I've talked about this before, but the two and two, the 22nd letter in the Greek alphabet is the X. 
we are now generation X is having their children. I think this is that we're getting close to the end. But the X would also be the chi, C-H-I. It's the lowercase t. It divides the iota. Jesus says in Matthew 5 that not one iota, not one dot is going to pass from the law. He also tells us that the first and most important commandment is to love your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul. That's supposed to be on the top. We end up with a capital T or the Greek letter tau. But the cross that we have been given by the church and the establishment to think of is more of an X. It cuts off the top portion of the iota. It would remove the dot from the lowercase iota. Jesus says, not one dot, not one iota is going to pass, but that's what the X does. That's what the chi does rather than the tau. Hopefully that makes sense. But we can also see, if you look up Peter, you will see that it means ram. Aries is the astrological sign, which is the ram. In Daniel chapter 8, you'll see that the three-horned goat rises up against the ram. It's the two churches battling those that are owned by the crooked letter, this all-seeing eye. Those that are on the straight, narrow beam that have the keys on keys to the heaven, keys to heaven on their shoulder. The yoke, sharing the load with Jesus, our rescuer. We'll know that it's not time to engage in a battle against a goat or a ram. For narrow is the way and small is the gate. I hope you understand. I don't know if this came across super clear. I hope it did. I did, I did my best. But again, it comes down to you read for yourself. I hope you see that there are two different paths and the world has sewn them together. They even bound it in a book called the B-I-B-L-E. By meaning to, B-L-E to be. There's two paths written in one book. Sewn together or bound together just like the wheat and the weeds that have been sown in the earth that will need to grow up together until harvest. It is our job to seek ye first the kingdom of God and he will reveal all these things. He will give us our daily bread. He will give us the breadcrumbs to help us along the way so we can find the narrow gate. But many, it doesn't seem to be important enough to, to spend the time, the effort, the energy to look up what the words actually mean in their etymology. I'll often use the Strong's Concordance, but the, the Strong's Concordance typically doesn't even give a real explanation of the word. It will just refer to something else that's similar. So I go into the etymology and I, I give you examples, hopefully, to encourage you to do the same thing. It takes longer to read, but it makes so much more sense. So I'm encouraging you to do that.
Godspeed.